0: This is Murray State, this is Murray State, Murray State, Murray State, Murray State, Murray State. In this town we call Athens. Everybody ready for the Halloween song? (coughs) Murray State, Murray State. (sighs) That's been stuck in my head. Okay. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, Stats focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin, and I'm Nathan. And here we are talking about the Murray State review. You know that game that we didn't preview because we just couldn't get our mess together, and that's okay. Really, I'm speaking for myself. I can't speak for you, Nathan, but my I, mess was not together.
1: I, my mess was very, very, very together. I so had a, <laughs> all of it was in one place. Self, yeah. My I mean, mess
0: was all over the place.
1: I mean the 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 fact of the matter is that um we just had a i don't know we just had a lot going on i mean i'm I'm, I'm, going on i am even as as we speak i am currently still worrying about all of the stats stuff that i've been doing the last two weeks (laughs) (laughs) like i can't i can't ever stop it's true yeah
0: the stats never stop data never dies Yeah, So, I mean, it's it's been a
1: really awesome thing because I've gotten to work with some really, really incredible people who are very smart um, and who really, I don't know, just, I mean, really get the way that I think about things. And I think that, you know, we have sort of a very similar philosophy on life. So it's been very cool to learn a lot of stuff, but it has also been a little draining. And let's be real, Murray State, like, not the worst preview to skip like no if we not were going to skip they are a they are an fcc team or an FCS, F-C-S team.
0: Yeah. yeah nathan's been dabbling with numbers and not letters so you get a pass so tell tell the people a little bit about what it is you've been working on and who you've been working with If you want to do any shout outs
1: um well i've been working with let's see all the guys over at the advanced stat slack on sb nation um chad peltier mm-hmm. peltier peltier uh he works he writes for Land Grant Holy Land, but he's also a UGA fan. He went to UGA, but his dad was a UGA person. Um or no, he went to UGA, but his dad was an Ohio State person. So he has he's sort of have split loyalties. He's been helping me out a lot. The other guy I've been working with a lot is um Parker Fleming, I think his name is. I I don't even know. He's part of some SB Nation network, but he's amazing and just learning our it's been a really cool experience. Also, Ben Craddock, one of my old roommates, who I think you know from who was in Carrollton and lived with us in the Sousa section or the Sousa mm-hmm. house, um, has been helping me on some stuff. So it's been sort of a, a labor of love. I, you know, the the meta situation with stats right now is that we are very hopeful that all of the work we're putting out in up front, then we'll eventually be able to get automated out for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. We're very close to that automation. I would say I'm like two days away, but I have to like I need to sleep and not do stats for like 24 hours. Um, <laughs> I just needed to sleep, and now I'm here. Yeah, so that's where I was. Yeah, but I mean, we can talk about the game now. Enough about the stats. You will see yeah, yeah. soon that we have a lot of stats or a yeah, lot. It's of pretty stats.
0: gross. Yeah, but it's
1: really, really lovely. So tell us a little bit about your experience. What you get through? Um, you know, it's weird because for what is ostensibly an FCS game. This was a very, 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 very good game for me. Like, I just had a lot of fun. Um, yeah. for a lot of reasons. First off, you know, uh, I've been helping with the, I don't know what the word is. I would say, I guess I prep the battle hymn soloist. Um, I yeah. go up there with them and make sure nobody's messing with them, make sure their heads are on right, all et cetera. And we, um, I got to prep this year. This week's battle hymn soloist was a, a girl named Maggie, um, Maggie Reese Hines, who is, huh. Uh, a Carrollton band alumna and it was just a really cool experience to go up there and like see someone who went to the same high school that I went to and graduated from the same program like do something so big you know and so that was really 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 fun you know it it was also cool because Maggie is actually the teacher of one of my she teaches lessons for one of my students uh, at Commerce and so that student came and that was super cool too because like I don't know it's just cool. It's cool to see, like, two sets of students like each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, like, the, the <laughs> fact that I have, I mean, Maggie is a college student and is, I, I wouldn't call her my student. She plays the trumpet. But the fact that someone who I have nominally taught is then teaching someone that I do teach, you know, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, really cool. Um, and so, also, I'm just, like, a very proud, quietly, I'm a very proud Carrollton alumni. Like I really mm-hmm. I, that band has done a lot for me, and so it was really cool to sort of, I don't know have two people who are involved in it at the same place doing the same thing, you know. yeah, uh, other than that, you know it was it was actually a pretty good day. Redcoat sounded really good, but uh most the most important thing is they were all safe. Uh, like heat was like a very big concern in this game, and we I don't think really had anything too emergency crazy. But we did have, you know, we had some people under the stands, and that was where they needed to be. So, I mean, we have, there's been a renewed emphasis this year on having, like, the safety of the students, basically. And Mm -hmm. so, we really, like, went out of the way to make sure that if kids weren't feeling right, that they went under the stands. And that, that made me happy, just in general, because I think that's probably, like that's where the world is going like that's probably like the way we need. <laughs> i mean just in general i think like in all youth activities we need to like treat our kids better um mm-hmm. and i think we kind of like we want to like teach them toughness or something and that r- doesn't really help if they die um which i mean i don't mean to be flipping about that like it's a genuine concern so yeah we all stayed safe it was really hot but so yeah all in all a good a good experience
0: what about you man I was able to, I was working in the morning and had a chance to go home and kind of get my mind right and really get excited about football, which is something that, you know, I I didn't have a deep, true excitement about the start of the season, unfortunately, just because everything was going on uh, around me, it felt like, and Mm -hmm. I was just kind of in it. And so I kind of had like a moment in my room where I opened my closet and I got to dig through my clothes and find my polo that I haven't worn in almost a year. And I, I, I put it on and it felt good. It felt really good.
1: Sort of like, uh, just like the Avengers assemble kind of moment. Yeah, for sure. Like five years in the future. You're like, I guess I will put this thing on again. As uh, soon as I, they, as soon as I get out, they pull me back in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice, that's a nice feeling. Like a zone like, honey,
0: where is my super suit?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. It was a little bit like that. I'm surprised that my wife didn't just yell back, but, uh, I, I got to watch the game on the TV and it was a really fun experience on the TV. Just, um, going through and being able to really watch intently. Yeah. I was actually really sure. able to do play by plays and, and drive by drives and just kind of really watch the, this, this to me felt like the first game of the season for me, which was really nice. Um, I really enjoyed the Vince Dooley's, uh, 15 minutes in the box. Um, just oh, enjoying it. <laughs> oh, he was get, in I don't the know box. If you got to see it. Yeah. Um, he might not have been in the box, but he was, he was one of the commentary, uh, folks for a moment. And oh, that's he dope. was just very distracted by the game because wherever he was sitting, he could see the game or he, there was a TV in front of him. Yeah. And they kept asking him questions and he'd give them like one word answers. Oh my God, that <laughs> is
1: my favorite like old man, my old man
0: stuff. He was actually up there while Murray State got that really nasty uh, touchdown. And he was like,
1: I gotta go, I I need to leave. And they were like, yeah, you need to leave. <laughs> well, you know, he's like almost always been pretty famously from what I remember, like uh, a little bit of a, like he'll be like, well, you know, Murray State, they got a really good punter, and that's a real that's a real weapon for them. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm imagining that that's that sort of attitude does not
0: go away. No, it can't. I mean, when you were involved the way he was for as long as he was, yeah, you don't just get rid of it. It doesn't go away in any way. And he's just kind of a very positive uh, person, and he, he doesn't downplay anybody or underrate anybody. But I uh, I'm super excited about Dooley Field. I think that's really neat. I actually didn't know that was happening, and I was on my way home. And I turned it on the radio and heard somebody say, and we're reporting from Dooley Field at Sanford Stadium. And yeah, I was it's like, pretty cool, what right? What kind of idiot? No, that's not what it's called. <laughs> but it is, it is really cool. You're right. It's really neat that that is a, that is a thing we, we have now to have and to hold. That's enough about experiences. You want to put our, our robot
1: brains on and talk about stats? Yeah. Well, let me say one more thing. I also yeah. I, I forgot to mention this because I... Yeah. I'm having a, I'm having like a stats induced panic attack right now. I also like really think the Dooley Field thing is super dope. Like, yeah, I, I it's think incredible. he deserves it, and I think that dumb politics is the only reason that it wasn't named Dooley Field 15 years ago. And so it was, it was, it was very cool to be there. As I didn't, I was. If you'd asked me like five or 10 years ago, at like you know what, it will it ever be Dooley Field? I would have said no. And I, and my understanding, and I can't really, I can't remember who it is, but I think uh, Don Lieberne was the guy who did not get along with him there was a big booster and someone who is better than uh me at like UGA history can tell you like specifically the problems here but apparently there was a big booster uh who really didn't like Vince Dooley as an athletic director and Mm -hmm. that ended up going into like just him getting fired because uh Michael Adams the late well not late but the departed Michael Adams, um, the former president of the UGA also really clashed with Dooley. And so one Don Lieberman is this like liquor baron, like a literal liquor baron, who <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is like a very 1910s thing to be. And he uh apparently just clashed with Dooley and didn't think he was doing a very good job and got him I don't think got him fired, but like was partially responsible for the ousting and also I think responsible for why mm-hmm. not only was it not named Dooley Field, like there's literally nothing Um, on campus named Dooley, right? Which is just like considering how much Barbara and he have like given to this university is just like an actual crime. Yeah, but here you go. But yeah, here we are holding
0: field, super cool, right there between the hedges so let's get into the real nitty-gritty of it and i know that this is something you've been working on as much as you have uh do you want to read off the quick advanced stats box score or yeah. how would you like to do, it? do you want to not look at it ever again nathan
1: no i do i mean I, i'm very <laughs> proud of this child that i've made
0: you should be it's beautiful
1: yeah well i don't know that it's beautiful yet but it is alive and you know mm-hmm. sometimes even an ugly baby is a baby you know what i mean still mm-hmm. a beautiful creation of it's your baby yeah of you the planet made it. right I, I'm not gonna pretend I'm not gonna be the mom who's like no my baby is pretty because like I know my baby's not pretty right now but my baby <laughs> is useful um so <laughs> and that's really what's important when you have a kid right I, I I'm not a parent but I'm my understanding is the most important thing about parenthood is just usefulness of the baby.
0: So you're really channeling like your, your West Georgia, like farm persona. Like my baby's not pretty, but he ain't, he is useful.
1: Yeah. This one's going to farm for grad. Us. So, um, I'm not, I don't really have, I don't, I don't want to read all these stats, but I'll just give you kind of the top line. Right. So mm-hmm. George on offense, 8.23 yards per play, 86 plays run, which is actually pretty impressive. 708 yards total, 13 drives, 67% success rate on the day. That's what you should see against an FCS team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Murray State uh, on offense, 4.3 yards per play, 85 plays run, which makes sense. They're an air raid. Uh, 369 yards in the day, 13 drives, 32% success rate. Now, the only two that I want to go over other than that, well, before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty, are rush success rate, pass success rate. Georgia's rush success rate was 67%, pass success rate 69%. Those -hmm. numbers are good even by the standards of playing an FCS team. That's oh, yeah. uh that's one thing that I think is important to focus on is like those are very good numbers. Even even opponent adjusted those are good numbers. Mm-hmm. Um let's see. Other than that, you know, if we look at opportunity rate for UGA, 60%. So 60% of UGA's runs went for at least 5 yards. Only 5% of UGA's runs were stuffed for less than 2 yards. Um explosive rate rush 16%, which kind of if you think about the flow of the game kind of fits like there mm-hmm. weren't a lot of giant runs it was just steady 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 um one smaller like more niche stat that i think is really good is um our our short rush success rate was 100 so if we had to get less than three yards we got it 100 of the time which yes again you have to be aware that this is um you know murray state it's an fcs team but it is a college football team Mm -hmm. so there's no reason to totally dismiss those stats even though you have to do So on the year, even with the sort of the poor performance in the first run through um, and the first game, our short run, our short rush success rate this year is still 67%, which is not bad. And if you look at our our breakout, if you break the stats out by player, uh, short rush success rate of players who have had short rush opportunities, um, only DeAndre Swift is below 50% at 33%, although he has had by far the most carries on the year. Uh, at oh, thirty, yeah. at
0: 33 i really appreciate all of our our standard down and success rates on all those downs but uh oh, yeah. i have you, a few questions for you to kind of break those down
1: uga continues to be and this well we can talk about this going forward but both on this game and specifically like just throughout this or more generally throughout the season uga is absolutely lethal on second down and I have some, I have some theories about that, but yeah, hit me. You got softballs for me. Hit me with softballs. <laughs> I'm gonna lob these softballs right at you. Okay. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're mixing sports the... metaphors now.
0: <laughs> back to football. A lot of the subjective narratives that people are throwing around are, you know, people are talking about what happened in the first quarter, and then, you know, inversely, what happened in the second quarter. The first quarter looked like two teams, you know, playing head to head. Uh, nobody coming out on top necessarily. But if you take a step back and realize, this was UGA playing an FCS team. You have to start to question: Is this FCS team playing super dominant, and are they shutting UGA down, or was UGA just really messing up, and uh, that was really kind of what came from that? So, what what really happened in the first quarter, and what can the stats tell us about and support that question?
1: Uh, yeah, so I I have sort of two answers for this. One would be getting more into my observations, and one would be uh, from the stats. Observationally, a little bit of both. Um, I really felt like I have. Uh, for the first time in the three years that we've been doing this podcast, I've I've had field notes, notebooks on me the whole time taking mm-hmm. notes for red coat stuff. And this is the first time I was like, oh, maybe I should write down things about the game. Um, so I have all these <laughs> <laughs> notes about it. Observationally, it felt to me like just some misses in um, in the inside linebacking core and in safeties in particular, but a couple of quarter uh, cornerback mix- misses. That play, the first quarter is, the, the number one thing to remember in the macro level is that that first quarter is, one busted coverage away from being seven to zero, which is still not great, but like is fine. And even if you look at the um the actual summary of the game broken out by quarter, you could see that like if you look at even if you look at it in a more micro sense, right? Murray's success rate was only 32% on the day. Their rush for success rate was 20%. They couldn't pass. And even with one big pass play, they had only a 40% pass success rate, which is still below average, right? And like even with that their explosiveness even with their long pass play their explosiveness rate pass was only 20 percent, right six percent explosive rate rush so i would say that observationally it feels like more just a couple of individual plays right mark webb needs to learn how to wrap up uh i thought that on the 60 yard touchdown play uh in the first quarter the biggest problem was that mark webb took a bad angle that would have been fine or mark webb got dusted frankly and mm-hmm. that would have been fine had J.R. Reed taken a bat or a good angle, or if uh, Richard LeCount hadn't get su- hadn't gotten suckered by play action in an air raid offense, um, which is really confusing because like how do you get suckered by play action in an air raid offense? Anyway, what I'm saying is like three things had to go wrong simultaneously for that play to happen, and that doesn't say that that's never gonna happen again. It just means that like I think that that play is on is in the tail of the bell curve of outcomes right you have to really have three bad days and i I actually thought outside of that one bust that like observationally there were just a few there were quite a few times where it like the lateral movement left or right in the first game i talked about how good the lateral movement on this team is and how quick and short spaces this team tends to be on defense and that was a hundred percent true throughout the third or second through fourth quarters. But in the first quarter, there were just some young guys just not moving around on the field very well. They just looked Mm -hmm. a little sluggish and it's noticeable in a team this quick. You know what I mean? So
0: with that same idea in mind with the first quarter, kind of explaining the first quarter. So what happened in the second quarter did, and at what point did UGA start dominating and did Murray state start kind of falling apart or did they fall apart?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think they fall apart. And, and, and one of the things I wrote in my halftime um, observations in my notebook was that it's kind of indicative of where we are. It's, uh, you know, this game is because we felt like we had been playing with our food, right? We had done the Clipson mm-hmm. thing where we, had, we were up on a good team, but not by that much, not as much as we should be. We weren't dominating as much as we should be. And you look up when we've just had a 35-point quarter. Yeah. I don't think Murray State fell apart. I think we just started playing as good as we can play. Like, if I look at my, I have my notes organized sequentially here, like, uh, chronologically, right? So, like, first quarter, great patience from Harrion, good backside pursuit from Crowder, right? So, things immediately, like, my notes immediately get positive. Then we immediately get uh, a a good hit from Webb and then a turnover, a scoop and score, right? Um, Then we get a couple of more really good plays on the next drive with Walter Grant and Adam Anderson just really, really just destroying their man. And all of a sudden like you know 12 13 with 13 minutes left in the second quarter even before we start really scoring a lot it's already apparent that like the defense has decided to just show up and that they're not going to score much more on the first team right and like i wrote in my notes like the first quarter issues seem to be mostly from inside linebackers and safeties because those were the precise people in the second quarter who are making the big plays right take Crowder. Mm-hmm needs it's this is kind of a theme on the day but Tate Crowder has to wrap up more consistently but he did he did a really good job diagnosing on that turnover. Adam Anderson looked really good. Walter Grant had a couple of really good plays. I mean I, I felt like even when even when the inside linebackers and the safeties were having a bad day, I thought that the defensive line and the outside linebackers had a great day. Just beautiful I mean like our outside linebacking core is I think quietly one of the strengths of this team they they just they all are fast they all are strong Adam Anderson bull rushed a guy and just knocked his ass over and yeah that's an <laughs> fcs offensive lineman but like that's not what adam anderson is supposed to do i mean he was like almost a safety right um you know and then and then i think i think the game was kind of over when the defense started playing like that and to me at least it was clear like okay well as long as the first team defense is on and now it doesn't matter and then the offense just sort of like lit up i think I think George Pickens we talk about him more later. I think we got a question or two about him, but I think yeah. one of the like big ish stories that I don't think people understand how important it is at this point yet uh, on the game was that Eli Wolf just looked really good. And he had a fumble, but I sort of think that that should have been blown dead as a lack of forward progress but whatever. Um he had a fumble, but even with that he just looked I he just looked smooth as silk, man. He just, he Mm. looked, he looked like butter. That's what I said. He looked like butter, (laughs) like genuinely, like he was just so smooth the whole time. And he has sort of, you know, through the years, we've had some guys like Arthur Lynch, I don't want to say Trip Chandler because he dropped so many balls, but I mean, Trip Chandler was like this too. Just dudes who it's like, okay, well, he's kind of athletic at tight end. He's kind of fast, but he just always seems to be in the right position. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, he can move really well. He knows how to read a a receiver. He has really good short. It seemed to me he had really good short space speed. Like, He's not like a burner. He's not like, you know, we're going to run with the wide receivers, but he was really good at going from like 60% to 100% in like two steps. And he was running these little option routes. I think they were option routes because he kept on just squaring in under zone coverage. And uh, Jake Fromm talked about how that was like a zone beater. And that's usually an option route where it's like you either have a square in and out or a post maybe, but he just kept taking that zone beater that was there. And at the very least, it, like even if he never has a game this good again, that that's one more thing you have to prepare for. That was always the problem with the lack of tight end production was just that you know teams didn't have to prepare for that middle of the field area with tight ends yeah. the way they are now. And 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 you know this is not the world's greatest tight end core. Just Charlie Warner and Eli Wolf and John Fitzpatrick utilized correctly are a good enough, a talented enough core to really give even very, very good inside linebacker cores fit, right? If you want to, like, roll it way too far forward and just knock on wood assume we go to the SEC championship, you know, if you think that one of the most inexperienced units in Alabama's team is their inside linebackers, the way you take advantage of that is with a functional tight end core. Yeah. So I felt really good about at least... Murray State didn't fall apart. We just started playing as good as we can, yeah.
0: you know? And that's definitely... I mean, it It was awesome to see Fromm really diagnosing the defense pretty well. Just like you said about the tight ends, like the the tight ends were playing to exactly what Jake Fromm was calling audibles and options for, Uh, you know, when a a lot of Murray State was was sitting in zones and they were playing on islands and we saw a lot of um, Jake Fromm favoring the tight ends, especially early in the game until those, those zones were kind of brought in a little bit more. And that's when we really got to see a lot more, really incredible like receiver blocking like our receivers the blocking in the field downfield was was absolutely just phenomenal yeah again it was an fcs team sure but they were where they needed to be and they were blocking properly
1: and i mean this has been well reported but like george pickens probably gets those two or three plays in the second quarter because he just threw a hell of a block on Mm -hmm. an earlier swift run for a touchdown and so seeing that happen is really really nice there were just so many good just just, I haven't
0: seen a receiver core like this in quite some time the way they're able to switch back and forth so seamlessly between both you know running down the field making separation and blocking so properly for the running backs Um, yeah it was just absolutely phenomenal Um, with the wide receivers in mind too I have another question about with our offensive scheme I think it's really interesting to kind of see I didn't see a lot of like deep balls like if and it could be because we weren't man on man, of course. We weren't trying to just beat their men because they were playing, you know, zone defense. Is that something do you think when we do get to the Notre Dame game, does it seem like we're trying to it we're holding a lot back right now? We're trying to play plays that are, are playing more on the infield and we'll see a little bit more of that and we'll see this this receiver cores uh speed more readily when we get there, or or what do you kind of think about that?
1: I mean, I think ultimately on offense we've only run 169 plays on the year Mm -hmm. there were two or three teams lsu ran 100 i think or they ran 96 i think against texas so at the end of the day ultimately we've just held things back just from the from the fact that we have not faced that many plays so i i also think that we've seen a lot of new stuff but i feel like we've only seen the first level of that stuff, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. so um Nick Toomey has a really, really, really good he Nick Toomey Nick Toomey and dog stats are two Twitter accounts that you should definitely be following if you are on twitter don't get on twitter it's awful but if you do um but <laughs> if you're already there <laughs> yeah nick Toomey has a really good thing on uh, a, a thread about using the 12 personnel and how when you put warner and uh eli wolf out on the field and wolf can easily line up in either like a flex tight end spot or just as a slot wide receiver it puts a lot of pressure on defenses because they don't know what they have to defend right because you can mm-hmm. run you can run 12 personnel out there and run and like put it in tights and then like just run it right up the gut or you can like spread it out a little bit. And what I'm noticing is that we keep running the same action out of that 12 personnel. Like okay, so what I noticed was and this is in let me get my let me get my notes back up here. Yeah. So I think in the second quarter or the first quarter, oh no, the first quarter. So first quarter James Cook has a little like flare pass out of out of like a sweep motion, right? He just catches a pass in the flat out of a sweep motion and then takes it for like five or six yards in 12 personnel. And since I had heard Toomey talk about the 12 personnel thing I was looking for the next time through, and I think that that 12 personnel was what George Pickens' first big catch, the uh, the crossing route, I think, well, I think it was like a curl rather, not the, uh, not the deep one, but that first catch was out of that same motion. No, I think the mm-hmm. deep one was out of that motion. So it's like, what I'm saying is like, I think we're holding things back because what we're revealing structurally is the base of our offense off of which things can be worked. And that's one thing I really have noticed already about one big difference between Coley and Chaney is that Coley really likes to work options in immediately. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So like you'll see the same play over and over and again, and we'll run different things off of it to be like, and we'll actually do that quickly. My feel, and I'd be happy to be corrected because I'm not like, I'm not the best X's and O guys, but my feel was that Chaney, it felt like that those options were always there, but we never used them, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, in those seven plays against Florida from the one-yard line, at no point did we run a pop pass off of that, like, power inside motion, right? In in all of the times that we had short down, we had short yardage situations in particular, we were never running the second option. So, to me, that's really... The biggest difference between Cheney is it seems in Coley is it seems like in Coley we get to the second derivation of the play faster, and the thing is like we've talked a lot in the past about like well Kirby's holding his hand Kirby's holding his hand, but actually like one of the better second level games you can play is not to hold your hand, it's Mm. to start getting different things on tape very quickly out of the same formation over and over again. Yeah, right. So if you can show that you can run, you know, jet sweep motion to cook for a flare pass or for a curl or for a like streak pass, or a i mean i don't even know what you would call what pickens ran just like a sideline go route right if you can if you can prove that you can move if you can run all three of those plays and then also like a counter out of the zone read and then also the the full zone read then you can like you're really putting a lot of stress on the defensive play callers because they have to prepare for each one of those out of the same formation you talked a little bit about
0: Murray State's offense and what I really enjoyed. It was actually a really entertaining game. And I think that Murray State did a really great job, especially their their hurry up offense. They were allowing maybe 15 seconds between plays, which really kept, you know, Georgia on their toes and, and guessing. But do you think that that experience of this team uh, is actually going to pay off later on down the line? And if so,
1: who? Well, yeah, I mean, it will, because we're going to play a lot of spread offenses and mm-hmm. uh uh, let me think. I'm pretty sure that Murray State's coach is off of that Valdosta State air raid tree. I don't think he got it from Hal Mummy or Mike Leach, but I'm pretty sure he played at Valdosta State at the same time that Kirby was there, and mm-hmm. I know they were still running that air raid stuff then. And so like, the roots of that offense are in some of the people are gonna be playing. I mean, you know, like Gus does not run the air raid, but Gus does run similar like wide split concepts and inside runs off of them, which they did a little bit of. But we will see we will see concepts of that in Chip Kelly's offense probably. We will see concepts of that in Sarkeesian's office offense probably because I don't know if Sark knows what else to run. Um <laughs> so like I facing a tempo team is never bad right yeah and ultimately i mean at the end of the day we had on the day a 23 percent havoc rate which is a very good number i think their goal their stated goal is 20 so for the game we had a 23 percent havoc rate 23 percent on um passing downs 23 percent on standard downs we had i think 11 uh tackles for loss six of those were sacks Our total havoc plays on the day. Yeah, 11 total havoc plays, six of which were sacks. 11 tackles for loss, which, you know, that counts the sacks in. Uh, We had what I would say were probably a couple of near pass breakups that should have probably been counted as pass breakups, but we also just had some really good defensive plays in the back end, despite a couple of busts. So, I mean, at the very least, you want to show against uh, an up-tempo, you know, air raid, whatever you want to call it, a spread offense. You want to show that you can... You can at least like hold even on them. and, and I have seen some talk and I, and I think I kind of believe this that it seemed like we were being in the first quarter we were really conservative x's and O's wise. Mm-hmm. and I don't know that in the second quarter it didn't it didn't seem to me that in the second quarter that we were running like stunts and twists and extra men into the box that much. what it felt like more to me was that there was just a philosophical shift in the second quarter when they were where they were just like, yeah, go just beat your man. Right. Yeah. Because, like, if you look at a couple of those sacks, a lot of them, especially there was one from Adam Anderson, there's one from Walter Grant, there's one from Nolan Smith, who, holy, shit, we got to talk about him. But e- on each one of those, it was either just like a swim and dip move or a rip move, or in Nolan Smith's case, just like, I'm just going to push you into the quarterback, like a, a just straight up bull rush. None of those moves are indicative of a play calling, a, like a, a rise in the assertiveness or aggressiveness of play calling, but rather, telling your your outside linebackers, like, don't worry about containing the run or worry less about it. Go get the passer, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely a different – that's an alternative way of playing defense. Not better or worse, but alternative to the way that Kirby has been in the past, especially with, pa- uh, with pass-heavy spread teams. Where, like, you know, Kirby's general thing with spread teams is to make them throw underneath, give up six yards on first and second down, and, and then stop them on third and short. Uh, I don't know that one is necessarily better than the other. But I do think early returns tell us that, you know, the I think that our outside linebacking core is just more athletic. I think we're faster. I think we're stronger. I think we're we have better pass rushers. And so it kind of doesn't make sense to tell Nolan Smith, like, hey, before you go after the quarterback, read contain. You know, it, it makes more sense to say, Nolan Smith, you were put on this earth to sack quarterbacks, go sack quarterbacks. <laughs> go do that thing, please. Yeah. That's
0: a, a good segue, actually, because I want to ask you who in your mind after watching this game and looking over the stats who are the offensive and defensive mvps of this game in your mind of this game yeah
1: i mean it's funny because like solo tackles wise mark webb had six tackles but he also got burnt he had the most on in the game but he also got burnt a couple of times so that's not like super great Mm
0: -hmm. i'm pretty sure mark webb is the reason why we lost that big touchdown right
1: yeah no he was 23 he was he was the one who gave it up i, ca- yeah. I couldn't remember what his name was and so in my notes i just wrote 23 all big <laughs> um nolan smith only had two solo tackles but he had one assisted tackle uh and a sack and a half and one and a half one, of course a tackle and a half, oh, tackle and a half for a loss
0: yeah and one and a half sacks. sacks.
1: i i hmm that's a really good question I'm actually going to probably say Nolan Smith, but I would say close second would be Monty Rice. I thought Monty Rice looked like he was just like running around with his hair on fire. He's not quite as fast as like Roquan and he's built differently, but he will just run at, he will, he, he runs fast. And it's very clear to me that at this point that he is not, he is not slowed down by the defense, which maybe mm-hmm. that was a, I think maybe that was a, a problem for him in the past. So it, I think that, he looks good, and if we can get Channing Tindall or Quay Walker, who I also think Quay Walker looked really good, if we can get if we can get them to that point where they're just running, I think we'll be in good shape in the inside linebacking core. Um, but I, I'm going to say Nolan Smith just because to see a freshman just have a bull rush that powerful is good, even in a vacuum, but to see a freshman who is known as being a speed rusher be able to just knock even an FCS offensive tackle onto his heels and just throw him into the quarterback is... That, that's a very good sign oh, it's yeah. it's more like it's more about projection at this point and i think this is kind of the thing with pickens too it's not necessarily that like him throwing that you know 260 pound offensive tackler however big he is into the quarterback it's not that that means that like he's automatically gonna be great it but it does however mean that like there like there are a lot of defensive players who are very highly ranked who would not do that so it's not necessarily yeah. It's necessarily that he, it, it proves he'll automatically be good, but it's another box to check, right? If you have to yeah. check all these boxes where it's like, you know, how good are you as a player? How close are you to greatness? One of those boxes is dominating inferior opponents. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, Georgia in the larger sense has struggled at in the past, but also in the narrower sense where, you know, we obviously have a better team, but it's not very clear that our players are just better than theirs at every level. And it was very clear, even in the first quarter, I thought that we just had the better team the entire time. Mm -hmm. especially nolan smith who just looked like he could kind of do whatever he wanted at some points it did feel that way sometimes especially in the edge rush like man he is so
0: fast and he just got to be wherever he wanted to be at any point in time my offensive player of the game i would give my offensive mvp to i know george pickens is like the low-hanging fruit and i will agree he looked incredible like uh no matter what role he was playing but I i gotta give it to brian harry and i think going into this game we all thought Brian Harrigan was going to be great. I didn't realize he was going to be as good as he is at this point, I think. Uh he ran 24 plays, he ran for 146 yards, 71% success rate. Like and he just keeps getting better. He looks good, he carries dudes, he blocks well. Like from start to finish Brian Harrigan had an incredible game. Uh I agree. But we do have to talk about George Pickens, I guess. Um, I don't uh, know if that's yeah, who you I would say.
1: freaking guess. I mean, I honestly <laughs> would probably say, you know, it's interesting. I, I think that, that that is a good take. That is a certifiable Nathan good take, the the um Brian Herrien one. Mm-hmm. But I actually kind of think, to me, that you can say the same kind of thing about... I think that your take about Brian Herrien is really good. However, to me, I think you can kind of say the same thing about Brian Herrien and that you could say about deandre swift where Mm -hmm. it's like he didn't necessarily have the best stats on the day but he was just steady and every time he touched the ball whether or not that was reflected in the box score or not it felt to me like he was the most talented player on the field a lot of the time for sure and that's a really uh, that it's hard to emphasize how important that is to a team and and like and this is like this is kind of me getting out over my skis because I never don't talk about stats or I try not to. Mm-hmm. But, and this is not really a stats thing, but just when you can put a player on the field who is legitimately Heisman talented, regardless of whether or not he is a Heisman trophy contender, it changes the complexion of your team, right? Nobody thought Sony Michelle or Nick Chubb were going to re- win the Heisman in 2017, but it was impactful to have a player who was that... Powerful and that explosive and you know on and on and on on the team regardless right and and that was certainly true of Swift last year but I I just feel Swift is just incredibly he just looks very smooth to me it just looks mm-hmm. like the game is so slow to him every cut every time he he he's run in a few touchdowns this year already uh, like he's I think he has on the year actually I can tell you exactly on with my handy dandy stat sheet for the season. Uh, Swift has 33 carries for 289 yards, a 61% e- uh, success rate, 18% explosiveness rate, 3% stuff rate, 64% opportunity rate, and a 33% short rush success rate. Mm-hmm. The one that really gets me, and I think that the one that's the most indicative of those, is the 61% success rate and the 64% opportunity rate. He just get, more often than not, he gets at least five yards, mm-hmm. and that's like pretty staggering. and I know that it's like, that sounds kind of silly to say like, oh, he gets five yards more often than he doesn't. But that is not true of most players. No, not at all. And it's one of those things where like, we take for granted the ability to just get five yards, right? Over and over and over and over again. But if you just run for five yards over and over again, you're going to win like pretty much every game you play. And so that to me, that's like, that's the advantage of having him is that we know we have a guy who is that good, right? And that changes the if you have a good play caller, which I think we do, unlike mm-hmm. last year. <laughs> if you have a good play caller, that that will fundamentally change the way that your offense operates. And so I think that's pretty cool. And we've talked so, a lot about this game against an FCS team, haven't we? Right? Yeah. But uh last things, uh major takeaways. Hit me
0: with your major takeaways going into next week
1: number one this team has incredible team speed It it, it is it is a hundred percent absolutely staggering and i think that we might take for granted i i said something on the way out to the band director that i think we take this team for granted in some ways because we don't understand how good they are from top to bottom we act like that oh yeah this is just part of like what georgia does but it isn't it a hundred percent isn't this is very and, different and yeah, and the team speed on the team speed, even compared to last year's uh or 2017, even the team speed on this team is a hundred percent ridiculous. And I think it's most noticeable to me, at least, in the uh in the big guys. Anyone who weighs over like 250 pounds on this team can still run. Yeah. And that's that's like kind of staggering, actually. And so it and it it was just really what really drove it home to me was that I felt like I had a real like A real feeling that like oh we're not trying very hard right now in the first quarter, and then it feel it felt like to me at least that as soon as we were like okay we're gonna win this game we just immediately won the game
0: yeah and so it's like go ahead I'm sorry
1: that's just a hundred percent crazy. I was just gonna say
0: I had a very superstitious moment going into or finishing up the first quarter of the game where I was like we didn't do a re a preview that's why we're going to lose this game. Oh, (laughs) I had a real moment. Sweet Ugh. baby Justin. Oh, it was real bad. I thought it was all our fault. I'm glad that we didn't lose. Did um, you really
1: think we were going to lose this game?
0: Well, there was like a minute in the first quarter where, you know, you have that existential dread where you're like, it's my fault <laughs> that anybody with anxiety has experienced. Like, it's my fault. I did this because we've done a review and a preview for every game for the last two years. And we decided nonchalantly to not do it for Murray State for, of all teams. And so I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't our fault
1: that's the difference between between us i was like yes we're gonna win this game huh Mm -hmm. this is sloppy but we're still gonna win like i never i never once doubted and i am a doubter but like and i and i think that is like also sort of like that's the corollary to one of my takeaways which is that this team is just good and it's like that's a boring thing that i have said a lot but it is something that i think we have to emphasize now the one other micro point i had based on all these observations and things Mm -hmm. we're talking about is that I think that this passing offense is going to surprise somebody. I think our wide receiver core is better than people think it is. Even with George Pickens exploding, I think top to bottom, they're very good. I think they actually, I'm about ready to say they're better than they were last year. Um, I think the only negative thing I take away from this game is that the back half of our defense has got to learn to f-ing wrap up or I'm going to lose my f-ing mind. <laughs> and this is Richard LeCount, Mark Webb a couple of times even like take router read a couple times jr reed tyreek stevenson wrap the f- up like and that that's what's so frustrating give me another click richard the count is a literal heat-seeking f- missile he just has to have his hands out if he just puts his shoulder on and has his hands in sort of a hug type formation he's gonna make the tackle so that is my only like that is my one like mm, we need to do the we need to do better on that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh
0: my takeaways are I'm I'm super excited to see the way this team is moving around or offen- offensive lines. I, I just want to see how that translates to bigger teams, FBS teams, P5 teams, that sort of thing. Uh I am just like you absolutely astounded by this receiving core. Uh, I did not know what we were getting into going into this season and just like you I am just about as ready to say i think that we're in a better position than we were last year with this, this receiving core that you know just they from top to bottom they have the whole skill set that you need for a good receiving core that's actually mm-hmm. creating more holes for our running backs and our, our tight ends than we have in the past which i think is really exciting we're not relying on one aspect of our offense to do well yeah definitely not one-dimensional no not one-dimensional it's, in, it's in interesting
1: because like in terms of plays run at this point we are one-dimensional in the sense that, like, on the year, our rush rate is 60 per- 66%. But I definitely agree that, like, the flexibility of our, our offense feels much better than it did last year. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure why that is. Well, that's just alluding. I mean, we've seen little bits and pieces of it. Like I said earlier, just,
0: like, the way we're, we've been able to very seamlessly move back and forth between deeper plays and more midfield plays and, and see the wide receivers and the tight ends respond accordingly to those audibles that, that Jake mm-hmm. Fromm's been calling. So that kind of alludes to greater things down the line greater things of the scheme we haven't actually seen yet that i'm i'm super excited about actually being unveiled hopefully by notre dame maybe more pieces of it by arkansas state we'll see what happens my, my last takeaway was that vince dooley is an adorable little gremlin and i i really just want to hug him and have breakfast with him or something let's get into our favorite segment of the show hashtag ask cbc let's move through these uh if you want to have your questions on the show, be sure to tag us with the hashtag AskCBC or email us. There are a couple of you who emailed some things in the last week, and I totally missed them because in the off season I turned my notifications off, and that's my fault. But, hey, we're going to answer some of those now, the ones that are least relevant. So you can still snail mail us, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. But the very first one comes from Hannah Schaefer. She asks, will we start seeing Jake From run, and are we going to start using our tight ends as we get deeper into the
1: season? No and yes. I mean, uh, I think we will see him run a little bit more because if you want, if you have any interest in running the zone action, mm-hmm. or like any, any interest in running zone at all, you need to run. He needs yeah. you need to have occasionally. He needs to run, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be. I mean, even in the past few seasons,
0: he wasn't really a a run at any point other than if he needs to, and it's too big of an asset to risk at any point in time. Uh, to naturally you know intentionally uh create a a play that has Jake from running yeah uh, yeah that that's for real um Ben Shepherd asks the offhand comment about Magic the Gathering made
1: me think about the similarities with football dude i'm i'm so Are freaking you ready for this, ready for this? <laughs> oh dude i i i've been thinking about this i'm glad you didn't pick this one up because like it gave me like an hour to just like sit and think about it
0: good uh, the question is, how would you compare college football strategies and philosophies to traditional Magic the Gathering decks? So, Oh, my
1: God. I'm so... This is like I've prepared my whole life for this moment. Here we go with our very niche subject once more.
0: So just skip this over. next 45 minutes.
1: 45 minutes? Calm down. Kid- <laughs> like a minute or two. Okay. So Big Green Stompy is like the traditional power offense, right? Because it's just like really unsubtle and you just sort of do the same thing over and Mm -hmm. over again and hope it works and a lot of times it does work (laughs) like you have to have better players cards right than the other guy but if you do then you just will end up you'll win most of the time Mm -hmm. um i would say that the sort of like tempo merfolk style deck that's like a washington offense or a boise state offense uh under chris peterson where it's just like There's not really one thing that loses that you lose to, but you lose a lot and you're just like, I don't know what the hell happened. Like, here we are. And let's see. Let's control is definitely uh, like the triple option because like you don't get to play the game. You have like three (laughs) possessions and the other guy's like, no, you counter spell like the inside belly dive out of the triple option is the counter spell of football. Mm-hmm. um let's see the air raid is definitely uh red deck wins that's what i was gonna say like red burn the air raid is like fuck it we'll fuck it, throw it deep right and so mm-hmm. that's what red deck win is wins is it's like i got 20 life you got 20 life in three turns we'll see who wins <laughs> um that's a very mike leach ap- approach to life uh-huh. um i i would say um and then i like the one separate one that i said is that you know he said he was asking about offenses Oh, offenses, ball strategies yeah, strategies but i also was thinking about them as individual te- uh, teams right so i mm-hmm. think um like one of the most oppressive decks in the history of um magic was when stoneforge mystic uh oh, was man. in yeah so i feel like stoneforge mystic when it was oppressive is just alabama yeah it's like and well, it just why do you? Get to, again. Why yeah? Well, it's not going to matter. It's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, stop. We have to stop. No, I'm no sorry. one will ever. <laughs> this no is not a Listen podcast. to this anyway. No <laughs> one will. No one will ever listen to this anyway. But they definitely won't listen to it if you can't stop that. Um,
0: <laughs> we have to move on, or we won't stop.
1: Yeah. No, we won't.
0: All right. Jonathan Ashley asks, after watching Stetson Bennett play, how do you feel about the UGA quarterback situation, both for this season, if the unspeakable happens, knock on every tree in the forest and the next?
1: I mean, I don't f- feel horrible about it next season because, I yeah. think, you know, we got, we got a couple of good guys coming in, but um, I do feel pretty bad about it this year.
0: Yeah. I,
1: I mean, I like what
0: everyone has been able to say about Stetson Bennett and the fact that he left and was able to come back, I think it, is really great. I mean, I Correct me if I'm wrong, but the quarterback is super important for Georgia. While the quarterback is, is arguably w- the most important position, for Georgia, I think that it is just a cog in the machine. Like, it has to be passable. And, haha, that's a very funny pun. But Stetson Bennett, RDR think, at least fits that mold for it's passable. Like, it, it won't get you out of every situation, but it does, you know, it, it does what you need it to do, essentially, that quarterback.
1: Yeah, no, that's real. That's real philip Noki, what do you yeah. think is the potential ceiling
0: for pickens nolan smith and orders Zamir white
1: i mean i think nolan smith can be the first draft the first pick in the draft oh yeah like, that's, i yeah. i mean that's that's just me though i mean i i i i legitimately do i think he's i think he's that good i think zamir white similar level of talent uh i mean i think all three of those guys guys are at least day one picks yeah. honestly like their top end and the, i think honestly the top end for all three of them is first round i mean uh zamir like obviously less so because just not many running backs drafted in the first round anymore mm-hmm. but I, I they just there's no tap there's no love there's no ceiling to what these guys can do so far i mean they haven't shown that they have a ceiling as yeah. long as zamir I th- i'd say zamir is your riskiest bet because of the injury history but other than that
0: yeah I, I had moments watching pickens and nolan smith this weekend where i was like i f- it felt like watching history kind of unfold in a way like we're going to see them do some really incredible stuff, both this season and the next couple seasons. And I'm really excited to see those things kind of happen. John Luke good dogs. Is there any reason to be nervous about Isaiah Wilson's injury? Hard to glean much from this game alone, but I'm not feeling very worried at all considering the depth.
1: Um, I mean, yeah, same. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm worried so much as I'm like, you know, I think it's, it's important to it's important that we continue to develop the depth right yeah. and if if the if the if the depth continues to develop at the rate that it has now then we'll be fine yeah right I, but if yeah. it doesn't <laughs> then we won't be fine i mean i don't know I'm, I'm having a really hard time coming up with a way to answer this no like, I mean-
0: i I actually made a note in my observations that the the combo of like hill kindley and Maze looked super dominant and they looked like they played well together and so if they continue to play like that outside of fcs opponents i think they will be just fine um i'm still worried to see what might happen because you know this isn't the most uh representative team to kind of figure out how we're doing but we do still have you know two more weeks of full practice before we go into Notre Dame or go into Notre Dame, but Notre Dame comes here. And so we have plenty of time to kind of figure things out and and work out any kinks. So I I think there's nothing to worry about yet.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think you develop depth for this reason, right? This is literally the point of developing depth is for when you have the inevitable image injury to a starter. Mm-hmm. and you know it sucks that it happened but that's why you have it that's like that's why it's here
0: yeah makes sense yeah. uh france Narkinton. <laughs> uh the it's mathematical it is <laughs> uh, the mathematical universe hypothesis says the universe is not just described by mathematics but is mathematics under that what theory slash theorem is george pickens i would say euler's uh, formula combines all the most important pieces of math in one entity unknown powers
1: Oh, dude. This is the point where everyone has to realize that, like, I know literally nothing about math.
0: But this is funny because uh, everyone's kind of trying to trying to jump into the James Bearfield troll corner.
1: I, I respect that. I really yeah. do. But, like, I don't know anything about math, man.
0: I don't either. I'm taking the first math class I've taken in the last 12 years. And I started it wanting to cry. And by the end of it, I was like, hell yeah, I got 100 on my exams. <laughs> All in the span of, like, six hours. It is difficult though
1: yeah i, look I mean up. if 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 the question is implicitly does he literally have everything that you want in a wide receiver the answer is yes if this is like a unified physics thing see the thing is like i kind of know about physics a little bit right not a lot about math at all
0: uh yeah. michael bauer asked why is the third down song called choker
1: uh because the everything that the redcoats do is based on uh like hand signs Right, all the short tunes, and the hand, the hand signal, the signal for choker is literally choking yourself. No, oh. it's like one one hand over the throat. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I have a few questions, uh, lightning round questions from West Coast Mark that I missed last week in our email, but here they go. You ready? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you say Rod Blankenship is a great UGA legend or the greatest UGA legend?
1: I mean, yeah, trick question, right? I it, <laughs> it, it, he can't be stopped if that's what you're asking. Yes.
0: Can you get him on the show to answer questions? No. What entrance do you think they will put his bronze statue?
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, well, they won't unless, you know, as long as he doesn't make a an an- liquor baron angry, I guess, you know, probably gate one, right?
0: You would think so. Um, How many postseason individual awards will have UGA finalists? Give us the over-under and your prediction. Ooh. Oh, West Coast Mark, please. Ooh. Ooh. ooh.
1: Over-under 1.5. That's it? yeah i mean there's not i mean there's a lot of people vying for the awards
0: well it's finalists it's not winners
1: finalists oh over under
0: 3.5 uh i'll I'd give say, it i would take the under okay i'm gonna say over
1: i respect that
0: <laughs> we'll we'll come back to this our actual favorite segment of the show the dr james bearfield trail corner presented by Cheerwine. it's the wine that gives you diabetes TM, tm tm very first question what comic book battle would you equate to the murray state game and why
1: uh oh he's gonna keep asking us this he is
0: yeah i'm gonna run out of i I mean i've already really run out of comic book battles off the top of my head something i haven't really thought about
1: um i'm gonna go ahead and say that this is hmm james you are killing me right here with this no this is a really good question it It is it deserves a good answer so just give me a second and i'll tell you i think i'm gonna say every spider-man fight (laughs) <laughs> like, starting from, like, the dance Slot run of Amazing Spider-Man to now, where he, like, almost dies every time.
0: Yeah. What did you like better, the Smithsack or the Pickens catch? The Smithsack. Yeah, Smithsack, 100%. As a numbers podcast, can I get the probability of Tennessee winning the SEC
1: East? <laughs> well, they don't have any SEC losses, so technically it's not zero. Yeah, that's true. Uh, last one is: Did you guys get too successful for
0: GomEd, or did they drop you? So the real answer to this question is that they, the contact we had with GomEd, actually sold their portion of GomEd, and so we did not pursue it with the new folks because we don't know if they are really into podcasts or football or any of those things.
1: But if they are, like, yeah, we're interested.
0: Yeah, if anybody else has a truckload of money that they want to drop off at the, uh, the Chapel bell Curve Studios, and let us know, we yeah, will talk we don't, about don't your turn thing.
1: that kind of thing down.
0: Oh yeah, and that's the show.
1: This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you would like to talk to us, you can get us on Twitter because anywhere else, we're going to kind of ignore it. No, that's not true. We'll try um, not to. We'll try not to, but we might. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. at Chapel Bell Curve. You can also send us an email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. But we might miss your question the way we did for dark. a week. For, poor guy. <laughs> for like a week. For like a week. Sorry, bud. Mark, we, we do love you, bud. You know that. If you would like to hear more of what we have to say, we would love, love, love if you would give us a subscription or you just smash that subscribe button smash and wherever smash. you get your podcast currently. If you would like to give us a rating, we'd also appreciate that, but we're not shills. No, I'm just kidding. We totally are shills. If you pay us money, we'll say anything. Yeah. Sort of. Other than that, we will catch you in the Classic City this weekend for the game against Arkansas State. But until then, go Dogs! Sleepy, go dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs>